This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good Things, the show where we speak to good people doing good things. So the two good people with me today are Edin Koo and Pauline Fan. Edin is the founder of Pusaka and Pauline is the creative director of Pusaka. So cultural heritage organisation Pusaka was formally established by Edin in 2002, though the work began much earlier in the 1990s. Focused on championing Malaysia's intangible heritage, our local tradition and art forms, Edin first started working with the traditional masters from Kelantan after the local government implemented the ban on some of the traditional arts in the state. The small but formidable team behind Pusaka, which includes uh, Pauline, are celebrating their official 20th anniversary this year and the group are still dedicated to creating a comprehensive documentary archive of traditional performing arts in Malaysia while also strengthening the viability of these traditions at the community level. So I'm going to catch up with both of them today. Welcome both of you. How are you today? Uh, very good to be here, Juliet. Thank you. Always lovely to be here. Thank you so much for joining me today. So yes, I was so excited. Congratulations. Happy anniversary 20 years. What an amazing feat. Uh, it's unbelievable yes. to have grown that old. <laughs> Don't know where all the time went, honestly. <laughs> time well spent, I would say, right? Struggle. Struggle. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but let's 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 go back to the start, Edin. So it's been a long time, as you said. Um, take me back to your early twenties. I believe it was uh, yes. where you were board journalist. Dare I say, you know, on the cultural and arts beat. Um, you know, what led you to Kelantan? What led you to these traditional arts in the yeah, first place? Yeah, I think I first ventured up to Kelantan when I was about twenty four or twenty five, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five. Uh, you know, as soon as I joined the press in the Star. Um, uh, the state government of Kelantan at that time, uh, called the Angkatan Perpaduan Uma, uh, a coalition between PAS and the now defunct uh, Semangat 46, uh, came up with this extraordinary policy of basically proscribing uh, all forms of traditional performance. I mean, we'd been quite used to the war with yellow culture, remember? You yes, know, uh, yes. Budaya Kuning from the West, but all of a sudden you were starting to proscribe things from within. Uh, but for me, you know, it, it, it kind of made a lot of sense because uh, I, I'm, I did my degree in Islamic studies. Uh, I understood that this kind of uh, tension within the community had been very apparent throughout the history of uh, Islam. Uh, I was very interested, of course, uh, then in how the dynamic would be played out here. Uh, and more importantly, uh, I began to be aware that I actually knew nothing about these art forms. Uh, I knew nothing about the people. I never stepped into the state of Kelantan uh, prior to this, although I had a great romance with uh, uh, the state of Kelantan as being the kind of crystallization of everything Malay. And I, of course, love everything Malay <laughs> um, uh, since my nanny was one. Um, so I went up there. I saw my first Wayankulit performance in the University of Malaya. Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, in the... Um, uh, 
Cultural Center of the University of Malaya, headed by a wonderful professor, Professor Dr. Muhammad Anis Noor. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, and I met uh, the man who would be my adoptive father, um, Abdullah Ibrahim, although, uh, known as Dalang Dolah Bajumera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with him, I came to discover that, you know, these great traditional artists don't just come with their personal biographies, but come with a great deal of myth and stories behind them, legends. They are legendary figures. Uh, and uh, my first encounter with Padola was quite interesting because I said I wanted to interview him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was a very small man, about five foot two with these huge, wonderful years. <laughs> uh, but he would take, you know, become at least about 30, 40 characters in the course of... Uh, but he was very humble and, and very uh, um, um, kind of uh, shy mm. until he came on stage. But... Uh, not when I said I wanted to interview him. He said, oh, come to Kelantan. And I said, yeah, could you give me your address? He said, oh, you don't need my address. Just go to the uh, taxi stand <laughs> and say, take me to where uh, uh, Dolaba Jumeira lives. And and I thought, um, you know, quite big-headed for this man to think that everyone knows him in <laughs> Kelantan. Except that I arrived in Kelantan and, of course, everybody does know him. And I just needed to say his name and, and uh, someone took me there. Amazing. And, uh, you know, next thing I knew, it's been 30 years now. 30 years. Uh, yeah, but it's been a, just such an odyssey, really. Uh, not even a journey, but really uh, deep down to the heart of not just what Klantan is, but who we are as a people, uh, what the crossroads of our culture are, uh, and how much uh, we kind of bleed into each other, you know, as a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, of course, now after 30 years of personal work, after 20 years of setting up the organization, uh, I think there is... Um, it's been uh, very rewarding in the sense that so many of the things we were struggling with when we first began, uh, things like whether the young would be interested, things like the viability of these traditions, things of bringing these traditions and its knowledge uh, um, to a wider, wider public, all I think have, um, uh, you know, it's never achieved, but, you know, we've really gone uh, I think, steps ahead uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in terms of bringing about this consciousness. For sure. I mean, the work that you do is amazing. And, you know, you've such great strides, right, uh, throughout these these past few decades. But maybe I can just quickly ask you, Pauline, I know you were a fresh history, literature, philosophy grad from NYU. You had come back to Malaysia and suddenly yes. uh, Mark Yong came into your life and changed a lot of things. Am I correct? Yes, that's right. Um, actually, really through meeting Edin, um, I think we met in 2000, when was it? 21. Yeah, 2001. Yes, 2001. And so 2002, perhaps, was the first time I stepped up to Kelantan. Or was it 2001? I can't remember. Okay, it doesn't matter. I just want to <laughs> But in any case, um, soon after we met, he did say that you must come to Kelantan. And the first thing that I witnessed in Kelantan was a Mayong. And it was a Sama Angin Mayong, which is a ritual performance, a healing performance of Mayong. And really, I had never seen anything like it. Um, I was quite familiar with traditional arts of other cultures, actually, because I had studied Burmese dance in New York. Funnily enough, I had <laughs> uh, met up and studied three years with a, with a Burmese dance master, who is still my master for today, uh, until today. But I had never encountered in such an authentic and deep way the Malay traditional arts. I really had no, um, not much idea about it at all. Mm-hmm. Besides what, as a KL girl growing up, besides what you see on television, mm-hmm. really, right? Yeah. Um, and of course, my father ha- had had a very close relationship with Kelantan. He had a love affair with Kelantan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had been up there with him once as a, as a young girl, but encountered none of the culture. Um, we went 
to visit the places in which he had taught. So Tanamera, Kotabaru, but it was kind of a a trip with Papa to see sure. his Kelantan. Right. Um, but I did have this idea about Kelantan that it was a special place. But encountering the Ma'yong um, and, and later the Wayangkulit and the Manora, these were the three forms that we encountered, um, that I first encountered. It really transformed my entire perception and understanding of this country. Mm. And I don't think I had ever had such a deep um, connection also with, the, with Malay culture and the Malay language. Um, I suddenly understood that these incredible living traditions were actually right at our doorstep. Yeah. And I was in love with things like kawali, you know, with um, beautiful things that I had seen elsewhere. But to see a tradition that was living and also also to understand the challenges that it was facing mm-hmm. was really completely eye-opening for me. Mm-hmm. And it was an epiphany, isn't it? Because yes. that's sort of like, uh, you know, was the the rest of your career almost, right? A, a big a big chunk of it anyway. Yes, because actually then you understand, um, or I started to understand that actually this kind of work, it's not... It's not something you can do um, short term. And it's also not something that we've ever done in Busaka as a kind of NGO going in and doing a project. Mm. The, f- the bonds that Edin had forged already and we continue to forge in Busaka are really bonds that are rooted in love and trust. And they are family bonds. And so the commitment that we have towards all of the communities we work with, but especially the Clantonese, because that's where we started, those bonds are very, very deep. Um, and they go, now we work with about seven different communities in Kelantan itself mm-hmm. and about 20, more than 20 communities Nationwide. around the whole country. Yeah. You missed out the best part What's about how one? we met. <laughs> okay. Oh, yes. How how was to that. Please. She was sure. my fan. Oh, she was a fan of mine. <laughs> Weren't we all, Pauline? I mean, that's how I met Edin as well. <laughs> yeah. No, but actually he's not totally wrong. Yeah. I did reach out to Edin because I had read some of his writing in The Sun at that time. Yeah, he was writing the for The, mm-hmm. the Sun at that time had a magazine. Sure. He was writing both on literature and on traditional arts. And in fact, I had read him before because even when I was studying at NYU, my father would send me articles <laughs> that he was writing in The Star. Oh, look at this. This is incredible stuff happening at Kelantan and the politics <laughs> and the culture. So he would send me stuff. So I had read Edin's um, writings about Mat Yong and about Wayang and about uh, Mai Putri and everything before I actually met him. <laughs> and then when I returned, um, then I was living with my dad then suddenly I saw his articles on Octavio Paz and all these wonderful writers who I also loved. And I said, this guy is actually very interesting. How come he is? You know what's very interesting about this story <laughs> is when we set up Pusaka, mm-hmm. both our fathers, oh, yeah, you know, romantic true. Ipo boys, yes. were most enthusiastic about <laughs> us, you know, starting this venture. And, you know, with all its risks, it's going to be so rewarding. Both of our mothers were, What? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? What is this? Ah, the sensible, <laughs> pragmatic mother. Yes, yes, <laughs> but here we are, 20 years later, the stars will align then as they are now. And you've got to work with some of the great traditional masters. You mentioned uh, Dola, uh, Dola Bajumera, of course, but there were so many others, isn't it? Who are some that you can tell us about? Well, there was Dola Bajumera, there was Pa Echom of the Manora. Manora is such a hypnotic, uh, um, a Thai... Uh, Buddhist Malay Klantanese uh, ritual dance form. And I think it was Joe Kukathas who perhaps gave me the greatest, best description of Pa Echom, you know, and she said when 
when I see him dance, I could faint. <laughs> yeah, he had that kind of power. Uh, and then, of course, we work with the Mark Yong troupe that has a nine-generation lineage. We still work with them. Uh, then there's the great DK Barat uh, artist, Pat Daud uh, Bukit Abal, past now, all of them, uh, sadly. I was so blessed, I think, to be able to work with that last generation of great masters, you know. Uh, of course, now the traditions have continued, but uh, everything, you know, in terms of how the traditions are passed down, you know, the old knowledge, uh, the whole worldview of the old masters died with this generation of, of performers. So for me, it's quite a bitter, uh, you know, bittersweet experience mm -hmm. uh, in, in that uh, you see, um, you know, for many of these older performers to have the tradition die with them would have been really quite a curse. Uh, so the fact that we were able to, you know, uh, see it passed down. And today it really is flourishing, actually, if you go to Kelantan. Uh, and one of our problems these days is that we can't take enough young people. Wow, what a problem yeah, to have. That's right. We can't yeah. take enough young people who want to join. Uh, and of course, uh, the tradition gives a lot to young people. Right? It gives them a sense of discipline, gives them a sense of purpose. Give them a sense of worldliness, of travel, you know, sometimes with practical things. Uh, so I think these are all uh, rewarding. I have my own um, sadness about transmission. It's, that's an inevitability, you know, mm -hmm. with, with the way things are passed down and how we come in with a whole different kind of uh, sense of our own senses. Yeah. Uh, orality is a very, very underappreciated, uh, um, underappreciated art and skill, you know. Um, today, we are very literal, literal in our approach. Okay. Uh, but nevertheless, it's, uh, it, um, it's good to see the, the traditions being very dynamic. But it has been a lot of having to learn how to put things together and mm. structure things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we come in with our own sort of sensibilities, is there a lot that is lost in the contextualizing of, of these traditions and of these uh, traditional arts as well? Uh, us who? Us as in uh, as anyone who goes in to learn it. Anyone, even me, you know, coming and watching a performance and I'm thinking I know so much about it. Uh, anyone who's researching it. Yeah, for me, actually, it was a real good bashing of my ego. <laughs> uh, that, that is, mm -hmm. I think, the, the very important uh, lesson I learned uh, to come with your degrees and mm. your ethnographic, uh, you know, uh, uh, knowledge and things like that. Uh, didn't mean anything at all because yeah. uh, you had essentially these very worldly people who were constantly playing with you, you know, and sometimes you didn't know they were satirizing you, they were joking with you, they were making fun of you. Um, and then you learn, like you learn through the dialect and you learn through the kind of allusions. Uh, and uh, it's a very jocular culture, right? It's very, very jocular, very funny mm -hmm. and very smart, very smart and witty. Uh, and it's all laden in these uh, uh, language of inference and uh, poetics and pantones and things like that. Um, but that's all part of the joy. Okay. Uh, I always tell people that my greatest moments were not during a performance itself. It was the pre-performance and after-performance conversation, discussion, uh, and laughter, lots of laughter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, uh, very infectious and very seductive. Mm. There's a lot of seduction constantly going on. A lot um, of seduction, a lot of flirtation, in fact. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it's actually very wonderful. And again, it, it really also defied all my perceptions. I mean, I went up there also, coming out, having come out of university, and of course you come and you think you know things, right? Yeah. 
But really, I think the first thing that it makes you realize is you know nothing. And the more you just put aside everything you think you know, then the more open you are and actually ready to even receive what you're watching. And that's the best way to to receive some of these traditions is to actually just allow yourself to let go of any of perceptions you might have and judgments mm-hmm. um, and really understand and ask yourself to be allowed to listen, be allowed to watch and even it's okay to not know what's mm-hmm. happening. You mm-hmm. can always find out later in a more analytical sense, but just to really immerse yourself in a particular experience and be completely open to it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's difficult for people yeah. um, who come out of a certain educational background, it's actually we need to deconstruct a lot of our own knowledge and what we think constitutes knowledge and what we think constitutes expertise. Because really the people who we work with um, in Kelantan, all these masters, and I met some of them, I didn't meet um, all of them, but I did meet Ba'ichom. He was also like a very beloved kind of father figure um, to me as well. Um, I did meet Ba'dola. I didn't meet Che Ning, but we are Mm. still working with um, With her her family. family. Um, So all these people... Many of them, or at least some of them, um, are illiterate. But I've never heard more profound Mm. expressions and understanding of culture and history and lineage um, and ancestry. I've never heard more profound explanations of those things than from these people who are so-called illiterate. Mm -hmm. It's you know, it's not all been you know, one. It's not romantic. No, no. uh, Because even as people come. Uh, with this uh, uh, sense of tradition, with mm. knowledge, with all that kind of uh, openness to, uh, there were other other very serious problems uh, re- related to the way we live mm. today, right? Okay. Issues of money, issues of structuring money, of uh, fi- fiscal discipline among communities. Yes. Um, and all those things have been very much what Pusaka has been about also. Mm you know, helping communities start bank accounts, for example, mm. uh, instituting new ways of, of, um, of uh, uh, paying fees so that you ensure that the money is equally distributed. Or, uh, you know, these, these have been part of the structural problems of uh, Pusaka okay. uh, and something that I forced myself to learn. You know, I never wanted to start this organization. <laughs> uh, I'm a cultural pirate and a cultural bandit and... Uh, I prefer to go in like this kind of bohemian uh, and, and yeah, and just do things. And it was at the behest actually of uh, Dolaba Jumeirah and other people that I actually started this because we needed to filter proper funding and and uh, things like that. And I was very resistant because I'm terribly disorganized. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, Pauline's been so good uh, and uh, now we have uh, uh, Novi who's our staff uh, and these people really... Uh, are my right and left arm. Mm-hmm. And without them, I'd probably be wandering the road <laughs> out there, not, not knowing where I am or what I'm doing or what day it is and what time or whether it's raining. Or, but, you know, uh, that's... Um, so it's a, it's a nice symbiosis, I think, mm. that we have. But everybody has had to learn, uh, sometimes very hard, uh, how to put things together. Okay. Okay, and I think that's still an ongoing. I'm sure that's still an ongoing it process. It will never stop. It will never it stop, right? Yeah. It's definitely ongoing. But you know what? My greatest delight is uh, uh, Juliet and everyone listening. It's 20 years ago. Um, uh, talking about the binaries in which you know, the bifurcation of 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 the backgrounds we live in. 20 years ago, if you wanted to look for funding for a Mak Yong healing ritual, 
people would look at me with very blurry and bemused looks. Um, as in what? <laughs> Shamans and uh, healers in Kelantan. <laughs> what? what? Yes. Uh, is that corporate social responsibility covers that? <laughs> uh, uh, today, you know, people are very drawn to it and they're very aware of what all these uh, traditions mean mm-hmm. uh, to essentially the heritage of the country, the history of the country and the sanity of the country. So it's mm-hmm. taken very, very seriously. And if I think there, if there's been one great achievement uh, for Pusaka, I think that's it. Okay. Uh, yeah. But there's definitely more. And we're going to just go for a quick break and come back and discuss all those other wonderful things that you guys have done these last two decades. I'm speaking today to Edin Koo, founder of Pusaka, and Pauline Fan. She's the creative director of Pusaka. It is the story of Pusaka today on Good Things. They are celebrating their 20th anniversary. We'll have more after this quick break. You're listening to Good Things on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Good Things on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Joining me in the studio today are the lovely Edin Koo and Pauline Fan. Edin is the founder of Pusaka. Pauline is the creative director. Uh, Pusaka is, of course, a cultural organisation. It works intimately with leading custodians of ritual and traditional performing arts in Malaysia and the region. They are celebrating their 20th anniversary this year. So again, happy anniversary to both of you. Thank and you. Uh, it's, you. <laughs> it's not been easy, as uh, as you guys uh, you know have explained as well. Um what I wanted to ask, of course, was, and this is something I think that, you know, made you want to start Pusaka or at least made you want to go to Kelantan in the first place, Edin, uh, government interference in culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people trying to revise history according to the cultural politics of our time. Mm-hmm. Is that still a problem today as it was, you know, back in the 90s and I guess even the 70s, right, when the cultural policy came into play? Um, it has remained a consistent problem. Uh, the issue is how you negotiate it. Uh, and uh, that's where being a political journalist at the same time, uh, you know, when you're in work like this, uh, this is what I mean by being abandoned. Yeah, you just use anything mm. that you can. Mm. Uh, and what I've always learned about confronting, of course, each context is different. I say very clearly here and very loudly that Malaysia is not Iran and Malaysia is not Afghanistan. If we were either of those countries, I'd be dead. Mm. Uh, and many of the people I work with would be dead or we'd have to run away. Mm. Uh, over here, uh, I think we are a very rooted in our sense of being plural. Mm-hmm. However much, we are also trying to reinvent that and uh, be the kind of other P, which is pure, <laughs> as pure as we can possibly be. Uh, we are still rooted in our everyday reality is plural, you know. Yeah. Uh, we do encounter people of different cultures and traditions all the time. Whenever I teach, I tell my students, you know, um, who come from the official system and they're all very aware that they are Malay, Chinese, Indian, Dan Lai Lain. Uh, and one of the ways that I break them into this world of traditional ritual culture and they're like, you know, why do we have to be here? Um, uh, but I break it down by telling them historically, we have flowed into each other, right? So don't buy into these uh, neat categories. And after three months, they are completely enthralled by this subject, yeah? Uh, so um, we have to constantly negotiate. And when I first went up to Kelantan, I realized that confrontation is never good. Mm-hmm. Um, I came with a lot, I think, that benefited me. I came with a lot of knowledge about Islam. I came with a lot of knowledge about uh, the evolution of Islam in this country and its historical roots and about Islam as not just uh, uh, edict 
and law, but Islam as a lived experience. Uh, so, you know, nobody seemed to want to kind of engage with me in any kind of discourse or dialogue. Okay. Uh, so they just let me be. <laughs> that was the best thing uh, at all. And what I started to realize was that there was, in a place like Klantan, culture had a far greater hold over people than politics. Mm. Right? So as much as these things were proscribed, I also began to notice that for all their big um, kind of drama about proscribing these traditions, they actually did very little about it. Right? So they didn't go to the ground and kind of disturb people who were doing mind putris and things like that. And oh. whether you were whatever political party, mm. you had local communities who were supporting this. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, thank God for my having digested and ingested and read Gandhi all those years, years ago uh, <laughs> and, and using those strategies essentially to pull communities together mm -hmm. and realizing that the power of the state didn't always have the potential of, of uh, you know, um, uh, going into these communities and imposing yeah. upon them these edicts. So there were contradictions la, that you Lots had to... Lots of contradictions. Lots of it, right? Yes. Uh, and still. It's what makes the work possible. I think there's contradictions. Like Edin said, if we were in a different country under a much more hardline government or regime, we certainly wouldn't be able to do this work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've actually found some very interesting things. For example, it differs from state to state. Mm-hmm. So Kelantan, for example, is actually, while they have all these loud uh, proclamations, you know, there is a far deeper rootedness in these traditions. Mm -hmm. Trangano is a different place. Uh, Trangano is a little more scary because they actually uh, are kind of more, um, uh, I should say, they're more serious in how they uh, impose and implement. Okay. A yeah, place like Johor also can yeah. be, uh, you know, a lot more uh, hardline as compared to Klantan. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. What I found when I worked in Sabah and Sarawak was very interesting because there is the same problem, except it doesn't come from the state. It comes from new forms of religious revival. The evangelical church, for example, mm. uh, uh, has a very strong hold on communities. And all of a sudden you find communities, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, distancing themselves uh, from cultural practices of their past, the Kadazan, for example, and the Bobohisan tradition, mm. uh, you know, because, and, and this is a new phenomenon. It's not there in the traditional church, it's there in the new churches. Um, but uh, what I think uh, needs to be done is how you negotiate uh, these things. And, somehow the, and sometimes the state is actually easier to negotiate. Interesting. Uh, than mm -hmm. smaller institutions that have a real hold over Grip the people. On, yeah. on the community, right? Yeah. Okay, all right. And and how have you been, you know, how have you been negotiating that? How do you work with them? Uh, are the communities welcoming when you come, first come in? Uh, you know, those sorts of things. Oh, Malaysia is uh, wonderful that way. The Malays mm. in particular yes. are beautiful that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, the, the further and further you get away from Kuala Lumpur, it's like that. Uh, and Pauline, of course, is... Um, uh, these days, I take a back seat because uh, I'm old now and a bit decrepit. And Ay, yo. <laughs> you know, my fishing for compliments <laughs> for us <laughs> to say quite the but opposite. But uh, Pauline goes out a lot. Uh, in the early years, it was very exciting, Juliet, because uh, I didn't know where I was going mm. or what I was doing. I'd get into my reliable proton night in those days and drive all over the country looking for stories. Uh, gen being a journalist in those days was oh, just marvellous. Yeah. Uh, not like today, you know, just hit behind and, you know, you don't even want to look at the person you're interviewing. Uh, you just send them an email. I can't understand that. In those days, you looked for the stories uh, and gathered your miles. And um, as much as I did political stories, I would go into little 
kampongs and you know moa or batu pahat and find out about these kudakapang performers or in Kelantan was wonderful Kelantan you just stopped everywhere and asked and everybody was so warm and friendly and um, I must say all our communities we are you know we we don't exaggerate that concept of family mm. we even have a pusaka family group yes we do <laughs> <WhatsApp group>. <laughs> and everybody is you know kind of exchanging everywhere yeah, I love it and uh, uh, I think Pauline's very good for this because uh, I think she's uh, Sri you know yeah, just yeah, yes, uh, yes. very Sri yeah. And uh, everybody's daughter and sister. Everybody's daughter <laughs> and sister, and she's looked up to by all the young women in that ah, community, lovely. and then all the older men are, you know, very protective of her. Haji Badron in oh, in, yeah, in, in Slangor, yes, and in Klantan, of course, she just, you know, she's one of the mates, lah. <laughs> uh, and the so, fact you speak BM so fluently, isn't it? That just kind of throws them off, I'm sure, as well. Certainly, but I think also my fluency in speaking BM. Mm. Also sure. came with working um, with the, with these traditional communities. You know, I, I mm. we had a very interesting incident once, and uh, my beautiful princess, uh, my Urumi Melum voice. Oh, yes. Yes, and the yes. Urumi tr- tradition, yeah. of course, is a remarkable tradition. It's part of the tradition of the Indian working class, mm. uh, and you know now pretty much uh, with all caste politics in India, kind of regarded as an orphan child. You know, nobody does it much in India. But in Malaysia, it's totally booming. And of course, it's taken a lot of young boys uh, out from the streets mm. and from car racing mm. and drinking and put them into these groups and they have competitions and things. And our Urumi group, uh, the Chinnarasa Urumi Melum Masna Kali, uh, are wonderful, but they look like princes, you know. <laughs> but we were having an event once and uh, uh, they had arrived and uh, Pauline and I came separately and I went into the dressing room and then they all looked at me and they said, oh, hello, Anne, hello. And then just carried on, you know. And I was just there, left standing there. And then she, when she came in, they just went into a whole, <laughs> whole kind of festive. You know, there was all this hugging, and and I was like, "Hello, I've been standing here for ten minutes, and everyone's just kind of like nodding at me." And then they're all like selfieing with her. But you know, it's also very good in an organization to know your place yep. and and to just kind of negotiate. These are all very good things. Uh, in the end, uh, so I'm just kind of like the godfather now. Yes, yes, you're the game. godfather. It's true. Uh, and I love Pauline and Mother, Nobi sister, and everyone, right? Everyone else to just basically, you know, uh, bring up the onion before the performance. <laughs> An onion, that is something mm. that well, I think we must talk about in any interview we do. Yes. You were the first one to talk to us about onion. You were the first one to introduce it to us. Can you please, you know, for anyone who doesn't know what onion is, can you tell us? So onion is a concept in the Kelantanese traditional arts. Um, it means something like temperament, character, a person's inner makeup, actually, the constitution of a person's inner reality. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a very complex um, idea, but one that really relates to things like even desire, someone's desire, your aspirations, your inclinations, um, and the shape of your personality and how you want to express that in reality. And so... It's very much related to things like um, the archetypes of traditional arts. They get very specific. Um, For example, if they say that a person has a particular onion, it means that your personality has perhaps a kind of affinity or an inclination and you can identify with a particular character of the Mayong tradition, for example. And they get so specific that it can even be you are either connected to the Dewa Puchil archetype or the Dewa Muda archetype, and each of those archetypes has particular um, characters. Mm-hmm. And if you are not able to express that angin, you can fall sick. Mm. 
So their understanding of the well-being of a human being depends a lot on angin. It's like it's one of those essential elements in the makeup of a human being. And if your angin is imbalanced, you can fall sick. And it's the kind of sickness that cannot be cured by a doctor, which is when aspects of traditional healing, like the mayong, like the mind putri, this is when they perform that role in that society and they heal a patient. That patient is not necessarily someone who comes from the performing arts tradition, but very often they are from, they have a kind of kuturunan, mm-hmm. which means they have some kind of lineage or they just have a very strong affinity. Um, and the thing that is so incredible about this um, this concept of angin is that the way in which you heal is for you to express. Mm-hmm. So expression becomes essential to healing. And therefore, if you're not allowed to express that that side of yourself, it can eat away at you. It can devour you. It can make you depressed. It can make you eventually very sick. Um, and the only way to heal is to express that. And so it really shows you the openness of Cantonese society. It's always, it never ceases to amaze me because the way in which they accept people for who they are, um, and this goes beyond, sometimes we think that, oh, Kelantan, it's this very um, traditional place. It's this very pious place. And they have, you know, sometimes outsiders tend to look at Kelantan like that. But when you really immerse yourself in Kelantanese society, particularly those who um, live according to the old worldviews and those who believe in Angin, and it's not just the old people who do, some of the young ones do as well. But if you embrace that, they really embrace human beings in every every kind of range mm. and variety of a human being, okay. whether you are gender fluid, whether you are, mm. however you want to express yourself um, in terms of your character, whether you want us, you want to bersilat, you want to um, be manjad, that's another kind yeah. of asset, or you just, or you feel constantly that you are somehow terpingir, mm. alienated or isolated. That's the Dewa Putril Angin. So each of those things has a kind of way of coaxing, and bringing you back to the social world. So you are allowed to go out and express yourself, and then you're allowed to immerse yourself and return to your social circle. It's very beautiful. Very, very profound. And you know the element of compassion and empathy for whoever you are, whatever your personality is, whatever quirk you have, uh, we we will find a way of accommodating. Mm. Uh, And that's so, I think, innate to, in particular, the Malay community, but every other community that has come in uh, and shared that space, yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, shared that space. Uh, You know, let me tell you a story, if I could, yeah. Uh, One of the most, uh, I think, moving stories I heard. Um, In 2010, uh, I went up there to do a a video expedition we we recorded with the photographer Ismail Hashim. Mm. Uh, the late photographer, great photographer Ismail Hashim. And uh, uh, Ismail Hashim, of course, is legendary, but, you know, I've never liked his photographs. <laughs> and, and I've never liked... And he's very well known for still fo- photography. Okay. And so I uh, spoke uh, to everyone organizing uh, Ismail and I said, you know, I'd love to have him photograph these things mm. because I'd love to see how he works with movement. Okay. Uh, and uh, for, unfortunately, he passed away before. He was able to, you know, prepare all this work. He had already photographed it. And if you look at those photographs, you would see the mastery of this man, real mastery of this Mm -hmm. man and his ability to respond. But along with that, we took a group of um, filmmakers and uh, they were all Indian boys from Sentul. They worked mainly in kind of 
you know, Tamil or Malay uh, drama things, but they were very, very good filmmakers. Uh, and I, I, we brought them into this kampong space. And so on the first day, I brought them in, I introduced everyone, you know, and by the second day, they said, okay, we're going to test it ourselves. They went into the communities way before I went, you know, at four o'clock to set up and things. Uh, and they were very comfortable. By the third day, uh, the last night of the performance, when I was driving into the uh, kampong, I heard, you know, loud Tamil music blaring from the kampong and the whole, there was whole Gotong Royong helping everybody. Uh, and, you know, this, this sense of being a family already was achieved. Mm. On the last night of the Mark Yong performance, I remember it rained really heavily halfway. And so we had to stop shooting and everything. Uh, and then we resumed at the end. And by the time we, we got back to uh, the hotels, it was about five o'clock in the morning after that ritual was over. Uh, on the next day, I interviewed each one of these uh, uh, cameramen and the crew. Uh, and one I guy in particular, Vic Nace, he's now become quite a well-known filmmaker, independent filmmaker. And he said to me, uh, you know, Anne, I'll be very honest with you. When I was first asked to come here, I thought it would be a job because, you know, I come from Sentul. Mm. And, you know, we are told that we don't like Malay people. Wow. Okay, so he came up anyway. And he said uh, he just had the most wonderful time in for 10 days and he was heartbroken about having to go back. And then he said, you know, uh, uh, what was most special was last night when it rained. After the rain and we were all packing up, uh, I, were, I, I took my shoes, my boots, to wash them because they were all muddy. And Metja, who was the great Mark Young actress, really great, I mean, you know, she comes and she says... Uh, Buggy, buggy, give me the shoes, right? And of course, he says, I mean, this is the old lady. She's the great prima donna, the diva of the Mark Yong. And uh, he said, uh, tapa, tapa, machi, I, I, ma, I will, she said, no, give it to me. And you know, women in Mark Yong, they have all this kind of command. <laughs> you don't say no. So she yeah. took the shoes and she cleaned it and then she gave it back to him. And then he said to me very movingly, uh, maybe even like, you know, kind of welling up in his eyes, he said, you know who cleans your shoes, Anne? Your own mother. Only your mother would clean your shoes. Uh, and that was my experience of Klantan. Wonderful. So, you know, that I, I take with me all the time. La. And this is why this country can never be broken, you see. Yeah. Because in the end, that's, that, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is this, uh, I believe in ritual theatre. I don't like modern theatre anymore. It bores me. Uh, um, and even the operations that used to be there in modern theatre that were very traditional and very old, don't seem to be there anymore. But this is theatre of yearning. You know, you perform because you need to. Uh, and all the skills are developed from that space. Uh, I believe in that very much. And I believe that whenever you're in that space, uh, you will be reminded of that and you'll be pulled in uh, like this boy uh, was. Uh, and I think that's also why it's so dangerous. Mm. Why it's so dangerous to the powerful, you see. Yeah. Uh, and so we really uh, must have ways. I remember um, Padola always telling me, if you lose these traditions, the whole society will lose its sanity. And, you know, some 20 years on, you know, just look around you. La. <laughs> Happening all around us, isn't Happening it? all around us, all over the world. Yeah. And how do you feel about that, Pauline, as well? You know, that, that sense of, you know, what happens if we do lose all of this? I don't think we will, because mm. like Edin said, I think those traditions are actually very much alive and really strong. And really, no matter what the politics is, culture is stronger than politics. 
it flows in through the blood and veins of uh, of these communities, and it flows into us as we even those who are not practitioners. I think if we immerse ourselves deeply enough, it becomes part of us. And I think as long as that is kept alive, then I don't think there is a danger of them dying out. So we've never actually used. We've never used the terms dying arts. Mm-hmm. We don't believe they are dying arts. Okay. They are very much alive and they're very much, um, most of them actually, and at least in terms of their samangat, is flourishing. In terms of the practical nature of things, that's another story. Um, but in Kelantan, for example, where there has been a 30-year prescription in various forms, those, all those traditions are still very much alive including all of the traditions that were prescribed in the 1990s. Um, there are some other traditions in Malaysia which I think face different kinds of problems. Like, for example, I think one of the traditions that does face um, serious challenges of transmission is the Awang Batil tradition and storytelling traditions. Mm-hmm. And I think that is also because those are very solo performances. Mm-hmm. And that usually is passed down through a family. And, for example, in, in Perlis, there's one Awang Batil left, Pat Romli, who, yeah. we, who we work with very closely as well. He has, man. He has a lovely, lovely yeah. man, a true master. He has tried to pass down tra- the tradition, but it's just not enough. And there's just not enough reception on the other side, even his own son. It's a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has partly to do with that, that shift away from orality. As much as we want to, we are not oral people anymore. And those of us who have gone through modern education yeah. system, even if we want to emulate that, we actually can't in the same way. Okay. And it becomes more and more challenging to take on the traditional storytelling tradition in one person as it was in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think another very important thing that we come to realize uh, is uh, we need to be more self-defining. Okay. Mm. We are constantly borrowing experiences from elsewhere. Uh, uh, even language and terminology is borrowed. Mm. Uh, when I think we are far ahead, uh, you know, of talking about things like pluralism, they, they don't work. Mm. Uh, we're far deeper than that. Mm. Uh, so I think we need to be a lot more self-defining. We also uh, abjure uh, UNESCO-type uh, uh, language, mm-hmm. you know, uh, dying tradition, preservation, all this kind of stuff. Uh, just give it life, you know, just let it live yeah. and uh, uh, always allow the communities who practice them to define and determine the boundaries so it really is, I think, all about autonomy. Uh, it's about communities who, who s- want the right to be able to define themselves. Uh, and I don't think anybody has the right to take that away, mm-hmm. uh, especially the state. Though they do try, but... Uh, they try all the time. All the time, and because, they won't you know, stop. <laughs> yeah, and I think... You know, but what, what is very interesting about the state, I think also we have to realise, and Malaysians love to, especially middle-class Malaysians, you know, is... Uh, like to go into the state of panic all the time about, oh, you know, the country is going down here. It's, look, please, uh, we are actually very, really, very mature. And I think part of the reason why um, uh, the last gasps of kind of high-handedness coming from the state is because it's beginning to realize how powerless it is. Uh, so out of desperation, it's just kind of stomping out things that, that nobody cares about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I mean, just, just looking at, we're just running out of time, but, you know, just looking at, at, you know, the future of Pusaka, I suppose. I mean, one of the important things that you guys have also been working on is documentation yes. and, and archiving. And, and your website also serves mm-hmm. as a, I guess, as a repository, right, of all mm-hmm. your research. Um, how is that going? I mean, uh, yeah. And, and how can people access that, you know? Yeah, I really want to talk about the future because, mm. and just very, I know we're running for time. So the documentation has to go everywhere. 
mm-hmm. uh, really reach the ground. And you know, all of our documentation is free. Yes. So people can get on and they can basically uh, get this for educational purposes. But we've got to build a network of institutions where we pass Malaysian material and answer many questions, right? It's so so our material doesn't just contain, this is what happens in Omar Young, but really what it means. Uh, yes. uh, Pusaka wants to move and look very seriously more and more into ritual. Uh, the meaning of ritual in the world today. It wants to uh, go beyond Malaysian shores uh, and work in Southeast Asia because there are lots of uh, corresponding traditions all over the place. And I think this kind of diasporic knowledge is is uh, very, very important. Uh, I think we really need to look at uh, myth again mm-hmm. to make sense of myth and metaphor, uh, which really underpins Asian history but has been uh, hijacked by this obsession with fact, you know. Mm. Um, uh, So today we have a major problem in Malaysia, in India, countries like that, where they make myth fact. Yeah, yes, okay. Mm -hmm. Right, without understanding the illusion. So uh, these are all our plans, apart from continuing with the documentation and and, uh, building a larger and larger community, uh, including people, you know, outside of the state and uh, forging this kind of relationship where every Malaysian and hopefully everybody in the world can just say, you know, from what I see of this, you know, this is mine. Mm. Because it is about deep humanity. It is about uh, deep emotion. It's about bonds. It's about community and family. And, you know, it's shared all over the world. And Pauline, how about for you? You know, what do you see as the future for Pusaka? What are some of the things that you're yes, working Yes, um, of course, I completely agree with Edin, but also um, specifically what we have said that we need to do as a kind of 20-year reflection is that we've actually documented a lot, hours and hours and hours of photography, of video, of audio. What we actually need to start doing um, in the next year and beyond is to put some of that those together. So we will be producing... From the archival material, we we look to producing certain things like documentaries, um, audio recordings, and maybe put them out in a kind of physical form mm-hmm. um, or di- and digital form, of course, to to reach out to a new audience. And uh, because we have we are a small team, of course, and we do sometimes focus so much on the field work, mm-hmm. which we love. But I think now is the time that we actually need to start producing, um, not just not just documentation, but also even written um, intellectualization of the work. All of that needs to happen now, I think. Mm-hmm. Publishing okay. our books and all of that. And, you know, if anyone's listening and they're keen to collaborate and to, to mm. work together with you of guys, course. is that something you all are open to? Yes. yes. You know, I must <laughs> say that for 20 years, it's not about me and Pauline and our communities. Uh, uh, as I said, when it first started, it was bewildering to people what, what we were doing. Even my mother was like, oh, he plays with puppets or some things. Um, but, you know, uh, the the uh, organization and our work would not have been able to um, go where it has gone today, uh, if not for friends. Uh, it, it Just friendship and holding us up together from BFM to, you know, the media and just friends around the community. Um, that kind of faith has held this work together. And people have done us a lot of favors. Huh? There were times that were very, very hard. Uh, and I really want to acknowledge many people who just, you know, uh, saved us uh, when we were close to the brink. Um, I owe them a huge, and the whole community, a whole organization and its community owes everybody um, a great uh, deal of uh, gratitude. But it's faith. Lah. It's the faith that has carried us through for 20 and into 21 years. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, we will always need that faith, I suppose. And family. And family. Yes. 
Kaluaga Pusaka. Kaluaga Pusaka. Um, but you know, again, if anyone's interested, do head to the Pusaka website. That's just pusaka.org. Everything is there. You know, the story of Pusaka is there. You know, all whatever archive material that you have put up there is there, accessible to everyone. More free. will be coming up soon. More will yes. be coming up soon. And uh, of course, you know, BFM is always happy to collaborate. So, you know, let's talk after this yes. as well. My thanks to the both of you. I've been speaking to Edin Koo, founder of Pusaka, and Pauline Fan, creative director of Pusaka. It's been the story of Pusaka here on Good Things. If you miss any part of our conversation, Today, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash good-things or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Good Things on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9 The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.